We have two readings tonight. Our first reading is in Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17, please. This is Knowing the Days We Live in, part four. While you're looking up Revelation 17, can I say I understand that there are different school of thoughts. And I've told you this is what I believe. This is what I've studied and studied and studied and I've looked at every angle. This is my own personal belief on this, on the end times. And you may disagree with it, but you can be wrong if you want. And <laughs> bless the Lord. I'm jesting. Bless the Lord. Revelation 17 verse 1. And there came... One of the seven angels which had seven vials and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness, and I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, Full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carried her, which hath seven heads and ten horns. The beast that thou sawest was and is not and shall ascend out of the bottomless pit and go into perdition. Notice the word. And they shall dwell, and they shall dwell on the, that dwell on the face, that dwell on the earth, pardon me, dwell on the earth shall wonder, whose names were not written in the book of life. From the foundation of the world, and they shall behold the beast that was, and is not, and, is, and yet is. And here is the, the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen and one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. And the beast that was and is not even, he is the eighth and is off the seventh and goeth into perdition. And the ten horns which thou sawest are ten kings, which have received no kingdom as yet, but receive power as kings one hour with the beast. These have one mind, and shall give their power and strength to the beast. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And they that are with him are called and chosen and faithful. And he saith unto me, The waters which thou sawest, where the great whore sitteth, are peoples, and multitudes, and nations, and tongues. And the ten horns which thou sawest upon the beast, these shall hate the whore, and shall make her desolate and naked, shall eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. For God hath put in their hearts to fulfill his will, and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast, until the words of God shall be fulfilled." And the woman which thou sawest is that great city. Note that. The woman which thou sawest is that great city which reigneth over the kings of the earth. Go to Daniel chapter 7, please. Daniel chapter 7. Remember I said that which is closed, closed in Daniel is opened or shut up in Daniel is opened. In the book of Revelation, Daniel chapter 7, please, beginning to read verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and the visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream, 
and told us some of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heaven strove upon the great sea. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man, and the man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear, and it raised itself up on one side and had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, this horn, behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and the mouth speaking great things. Let's read the first line of the next verse. And I beheld until the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit. Let's pray. Father, we ask you now, in Jesus' name, just to settle our hearts and to speak to us. And Lord, help me to rightly divide the word of truth. Tonight, Lord, will you take your word and your truth, and Lord, will you imprint it upon our minds and inscribe it upon our hearts. And Father, we ask you to help us all to know the days in which we're living in. If there's one here who's not yet saved, that they'll know the days, the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. And may they get right with the Saviour, come to the foot of the old rugged cross. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked at Genesis chapter 10 and Genesis chapter 11. And we talked about Nimrod. Genesis 10 and verse 8 tells us, And Cush begot Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth. Verse 9 says, He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Nimrod here as a mighty hunter gives the idea that he was a tyrant in the face of God. Gives the idea that he hunted down men alive. Not that he hunted so much as animals, but he hunted down men alive. He hunted them down in order to take them under his captivity that they may obey his will, may be one in his religion and worship him. Those who didn't, they received the death penalty. Ancient writings tell us these things. Chapter 11 of Genesis, we have them building the tower to heaven, the Tower of Babel. Babel is the Hebrew word for Babylon. And we're told that the king of Babylon, or Babel, was Nimrod. Nimrod, this man in opposition to God, also takes the place of God. You know, the word anti-Christ does not necessarily always, but does at times mean in opposition, rebelling against God, but it also means substitution for God in the place of God. And Nimrod was in the place of God. He called all the nations together, got all the people as one, and he built it hard to heaven. The Lord saw it, came down, and he smashed it and scattered the people. Genesis 11 verse 9 says, He scattered them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Now here we have the Lord, he confuses their language, so they cannot speak one to another. He confuses their geographical area that they cannot gather together for the Lord did not want a new world order. Here we have the embryonic form of a new world order. Nimrod was the original manifestation. Satan is the dragon. We'll look at that. We'll look again at it. Satan in the garden as the serpent He was the anti-God or anti-Christ replacing the word of God with Eve 
for his own word. In other words, he was usurping God's word, his authority, his word was above God's word. And that means in the place of anti-God. Nimrod was of the devil. Nimrod, he was anti-God, or as we would say, anti-Christ. We have looked at anti-Christ, and you'll have to get the, the first three of the series to go through to catch up. I'm afraid we can't look at it again. We will look at it a little as we go along. But here we have Nimrod being the original manifestation of anti-God or anti-Christ. In fact, Jewish writings or ancient writings tell us that he exclaims to the people, depart from the judgment of the Lord and adhere to the judgment of Nimrod. Nimrod's word was going above the word of God. Anyone who says their word is above this Bible, the word of God, they are placing themselves higher than God. They have the spirit of Antichrist. No matter who they are, no matter how high up in the church they are, anyone who says anything in opposition to God's word places their word above the word of God for this Bible that we have. This Bible is the final authority in all manners of Christian conduct and living and we must live therein. God's word is the everlasting word forever settled in heaven. So Nimrod his line comes down to Babylon. And in Babylon, we're told, as king of Babylon, down through, we skip through some time now, we come to the book of Daniel. Daniel is when the house of Judah are carried away captive by Nebuchadnezzar. Around 520, 30 years beforehand, Israel were carried away. They're a different kingdom altogether, totally and completely. They are, not, they are the same stock, but not the same as in people. They are already carried away by the Assyrians. Here we have Babylon. And Babylon, the Babylonians carry them away. Judah, Benjamin and Levi, which comprise the house of Judah in the south of Israel. And we have the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fiery furnace. Daniel in the lion's den and so on. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. In chapter 2. And he has a dream. And Daniel is going to interpret the dream. And he sees a man with a head of gold. That is Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. In fact Daniel interpreting the dream says to Nebuchadnezzar. Thou art this head of gold. I think we have a little picture of it here. We'll try and get it up for you in a moment. I know those on listening online will have to use their imagination. But it's a head of gold. Is the Babylonian empire. The head of gold was Nebuchadnezzar's empire. And Daniel says thou art the head of gold. Next he sees arms and breasts of silver. This represented the Medes and the Persians. Darius we read in chapter 5. Where Belshazzar is having a feast. With the things out of the, the, the vessels of the temple, Lord's temple, and they're having a great party, and their handwriting comes on the wall that God has numbered his kingdom and finished it. And that evening or that night, Belshazzar was disposed of as king, the last king, that is Nebuchadnezzar's grandson of the Babylonian gold empire, and Darius came in. He was the Median king, and he came along with Cyrus, who was a Persian king. Thirdly, we have the belly and thighs of brass. The brass kingdom was that kingdom which would then take over the silver kingdom. That is the Grecian kingdom led by Alexander the Great. And then we have legs of iron. And the legs of iron were the pagan Roman Empire, that of the Caesars. Now take note of the next one that we see. Daniel says in Daniel chapter 2, Your dream had legs of iron, then feet of iron and of clay. Starts to morph as it were, starts to change, but that which is in the iron is still in the feet. It is slightly different. But that which is in the gold, the silver, the bronze or the brass, the iron comes right down to the feet. For as we're told when the kingdom, the stone kingdom comes, it smashes the image at its feet and all the metal kingdoms 
fall. So here we have the Rome, Rome, pagan Rome of iron and the feet of iron and of clay. They still exist right until the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is the feet of iron and of clay? The feet of iron and of clay are what we have today known as the beast of the European Union. And also it is the papal Roman Empire or church. Now stay with me while we show you this. Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, he is given a dream then. And the dream he dreams, turn with me here to Daniel 7. And let your eye run down please, just to the first beast here. He says in verse 4, the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. We looked at those, all the symbology of them last week. And every beast is corresponding with the head of gold. The lion was the head of gold. The difference is that when he looks, that Daniel sees a lion through God's eyes. Ravenous. And that's how God sees sin. That's how God sees it like a beast. And he sees the kingdom. Nebuchadnezzar likes to think of himself as gold. And the next one, man likes to think of himself as silver and as bronze and strong like iron. We're always going to live forever. We have no mortality. But God says, this is what the kingdoms look like unto him. Here we have the lion, which is the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. The second one is like unto a bear. The bear is the silver, the Medes and the Persians. And of course, we have the third was like a leopard. The leopard was Alexander the Great and his Grecian Empire. The fourth, he says, notice what it says, what the fourth beast was like. Let your eye run down to verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions and behold a fourth beast. Notice dreadful and terrible and strong exceeding and it had great iron teeth and devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it and it was diverse. Notice diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. You see, here we see a lion, a bear, and a leopard. Now we see a beast that he cannot explain, but it has ten horns. Notice, it's right at the bottom at the feet kingdom where there's ten toes. Ten horns, ten toes, and it's diverse. Okay, if you'll go with me also. Stay in Daniel chapter 7. Let's read verse 8. And I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them. That's among the horns. Notice this. Another little horn before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes like the eyes of a man and the mouth speaking great things. That's a strange thing to see. From the ten horns, at some point in time, another horn starts to push out and rips up three of the horns. And this little horn, if you read on this, it's stouter. In other words, it's fatter. It has eyes like a man speaks great things. Strange for a horn. So we have to look and see what these things are. Let your eye run down for a moment to verse 17. Daniel says, these great beasts which are four kings, we've looked at that, which shall arise out of the earth. Now remember in your mind, Daniel is at the gold kingdom. Daniel is prophesying throughout time. There come a kingdom of silver and of brass and of iron and iron and clay. So he's looking down through time. We're living on the other end of it, looking backward. Daniel here is at the head of gold. So let's read what it says. And these great beasts which are, four, which, are, which are four are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Every time they're shown the kingdoms, Nebuchadnezzar's dream with the head of gold, a stone kingdom smashes it. When it comes to the beast, Another kingdom comes, a kingdom of the saints. In fact, we're told that the Lord shows them one like the Son of Man coming to receive a kingdom 
That's the Lord Jesus Christ. His death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension into the heavens. And he's coming again. And when he comes, all of these kingdoms will be smashed and torn to pieces, stamped under his feet. And Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years and then for all eternity. Here we have Daniel again saying, there's great beasts and four kings. But after this, the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Now note what he says in verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron. Notice the link with the iron teeth here, with the iron in the feet. And break in pieces and stamp the residue with his feet. Notice what Daniel says. Then would I know the truth. Now Daniel's at the head of gold. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, Thou art this head of gold. But there come another kingdom with silver. One that is bronze or brass. One that is iron. He says, but when he saw it as a beast, he knew there was something different about it. He couldn't place his finger upon it. And he says, I want to know what that means. Daniel, by the Lord, was called Daniel greatly beloved. Do you know what greatly beloved means there? Daniel, the man of desires. And here was Daniel desired to know what God was showing. Why not the silver or the bronze? Why not the iron but the beast at the end? Why that kingdom? Because Daniel knew that was the end of the age when Christ would return the Messiah of Israel. And he says, I want to know when that is. And brothers and sisters, you and I, you and I need to know the days we're living in. We're living in the last of the last days when Christ will return. And there's people and they're not saved. And they're not right with God. And you're living at the time of the toes, the iron and the clay. You're living at the time of this beast with the little horn. And you're not right with God. But we're told the saints of the Most High shall possess the kingdom. God's going to come. We were singing, there's no God like Jehovah. There's no God like Jehovah. Maybe someone will get a bit mixed up and say, well sure it's Jesus that's coming. I have something to tell you. Jesus is Jehovah. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he's going to come and rule and reign from planet earth. Are you ready? Will you be in the kingdom? See if you read on and we have time. Because this is a big subject. We're only touching the outskirts. This is an overview I'm giving you these weeks. See, See whenever the Lord comes and you're not ready. Do you see whenever we read about these kingdoms? Tells us these beasts are cast into a lake of fire and they're burnt up. Note we're told the false prophets there. We're told that the dragon will be there. The beast will be there. And it wasn't made for men. But those who know not Christ will be there. Notice this. We're going to get into the nitty gritty now. This is when people start falling out with you. Okay, stay with me. Why did Daniel want to know that? Well, first of all, why the fourth beast and not the others? Firstly, because the three to some degree were recognizable. A lion, a bear, and a leopard, but a beast. I need to know. Secondly, because the fourth beast was diverse from all the other beasts that were before it. Diverse is a Chaldean word, shena. Now you think, is that not... A Hebrew word. It's not as a Chaldean word, and I'll tell you why. When you're reading the book of Daniel, from Daniel chapter 2, around verse 4, until Daniel chapter 7, the end of the, or the end of the chapter, it's all in Chaldean. Because Judah, the Judahites were taken away, the house of Judah, into Babylon, and that was their language. So when you're reading that portion of scripture, it's Chaldean. Here we have... It's saying that the word Shana, diverse, this creature is diverse, it's different. Can't place my finger on it. There's something mysterious about it. Remember this little horn, keep it in your mind. The word Shana means to alter. It means to change. You know what that comes from the root word? To sleep. 
In other words, he says, it's as though there's a, a flow, a sleepy flow comes and people don't recognize it and it starts to grow out. And that's what's happened to the world. We have, we have ceased to recognize what has went on on planet Earth. Stay with me. That word, by the way, diverse is mentioned in Daniel 7, verses 3, 7, 19, 23, and 24. You see, the fourth, thirdly, the fourth beast he wanted to know was because, as I said, it was an end-time beast. Listen to what 2 Timothy 3 and 1 says. We used it as our main scripture for a couple of the evenings. Paul says, And know this also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. And you and I are living in perilous times. You and I are living in dangerous times. And this beast will be here until Christ returns again. So remember, Daniel is prophesying from the head of gold. Or where the lion is. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Looking down through time. And all those kingdoms happen through time when Daniel is dead and gone. I want to go to Revelation chapter 17 with me please. Revelation chapter 17. John is in the isle that is called Patmos. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Chapter 17 please. And before, just keep your Bibles open there. I want to tell you something about this before we get to this. Do you see when you go to the book of Revelation, I told you people are saying from chapter 4 till chapter 19, church will be raptured, the Jews have built the temple, they'll be sacrificing in the temple, there'll be a man that will come, the Antichrist they call him, he will set up a, a, a covenant with the, with the Jews for seven years, in the midst of the year he breaks the covenant, the great tribulation happens and we're floating about somewhere. I don't know where we're meant to be, but we're up there somewhere. I want to tell you something. I'm going to blow that out of the water tonight. I'm going to revolutionize your thinking. There is nowhere in Scripture talks about the Antichrist. Nowhere. Talks Antichrist. We want to look at this temple in a moment too. Do you see in Revelation chapter 4? Revelation chapter 3 of the seven letters to the church, churches. And then from 4 on where we start having visions. And the Lord says the time is at hand. Don't seal the book. Seal it in Daniel. Don't seal it in Revelation. And John is in Patmos looking out through time. To our day. Out through time. Now listen to this. As he's looking out through time, by the time you get a country chapter by chapter to chapter 10, you have an angel stands with his foot on the land, a foot on the sea, one hand up to heaven and a little book open in his hand. Now that's meant to happen when we're up in heaven sometime. What is that? Someone tell me because nobody else can. I'll tell you what it is. It's the Protestant Reformation. It's the opening of the Bible when Rome had it closed when Rome had it written in Latin and changed to the pulpit, when the Martin Luther came, he cried, the just shall live by faith. And that speaks of the Protestant Reformation. An open book, an open Bible over land and sea, and Christ proclaimed head of the church and king of the kingdom. That's what that speaks of. By the time you come to Revelation, Chapter seven, or chapter twelve, rather, we're told there's a great red dragon. We see Israel in the wilderness moving westward, and we see a great battle going on in a spiritual battle. A woman that is Israel scattered. Now watch. By the time you come to Revelation twelve, verse three says, "And a great red dragon was having seven heads. Notice, seven heads, ten horns. Remember Daniel's prophecy: seven heads." Ten horns. Now keep that in your mind. Here is the great red dragon having seven heads and ten, seven, ten horns. Verse 9 tells us, The great red dragon is that old serpent called the devil and Satan. Now keep it in your mind. The Bible's telling you this. I'm not telling you this. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. So the devil and Satan is the dragon, is the serpent. The serpent brings us to where? Back to the Garden of Eden, the original Antichrist. 
in the place of Christ. Revelation chapter 13. By the time we get to Revelation 13, we have two beasts. One comes out of the sea, and one is upon the earth or out of the land. And in verse 2, tell us, we haven't time to read it, we have already covered this in other nights, that the sea beast is like, notice, a leopard, a bear, and a lion. So there's a beast that has all of these in it, but it is unrecognizable with seven heads and ten horns. So all of those kingdoms are manifest in this beast. This is the pagan Roman Empire. And when you look that John is in Patmos, in his time, it was the Roman Caesars who were in charge. It was the Roman Caesars who were ruling and reigning. It was the Roman Caesars and their wickedness. And they were in charge. So stay with me for a moment, please. I want, to, I want you to look with me. Go to Revelation 13 for a moment. I know it's where you to go to 17. I want to, I want to just clarify something. Verse 3 says, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death. And the deadly wound was healed, and all the world wandered after the beast. Now you're going to be told some man's going to come, and he's going to be shot, and he's going to rise up. Da-da, look at me, I've risen from the dead. Listen, that is the pagan Roman Empire starting to decline And the little horn from among those ten coming up, which was the papacy. That was the miraculous thing. It's called or known as the revived Roman Empire. Okay, let's go to Revelation 17. Bless God. Look at the time. Time flies, doesn't it, when you're having fun? I hope you're having fun. I'm having fun anyhow. Bless the Lord. Here we have a woman rides the beast. And she's called a great whore on numerous occasions. Verse 6 tells us that this woman is drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And I saw her and I wondered with great admiration. Here we have an of picture of it. I notice this woman here. She's sitting. There's a seat. She's sitting. There's a seat. Do you know in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13, we're told that the Lord Jesus writing to the church at Pergamos, and he writes a letter that's always, that's also uh, prophetic. And he writes it for it's happening at that time. It's a literal church, but it's prophetic in church history. Notice what he says in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 13 to the church of Pergamos. He says, I know thy works. Notice And where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. Where the dragon's seat is, in other words. Where Satan's seat is. We're told, you know, that the dragon gave his seat unto these beasts. And I haven't time to go through it all tonight. But let me tell you something. The church at Pergamos was called the seat of Satan. And there was... At the time when the head of gold was being taken over by the, 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 the arms and the breasts of silver, Darius of the Medes and the Persians, Darius and Cyrus, when that was happening, we're told that some of the priests of the mysteries of the religions of Babylon, the priests, they fled for their life. Some of the princes fled also, and they fled while the silver kingdom took over, and they went and they lived in Pergamos. And when they lived in Pergamos, they overtook Pergamos. And when they overtook Pergamos, they brought their religions to Pergamos. And Pergamos became a place of harlotry and idolatry and all the filthiness you could think of. It became a place of the occult. And it was called Satan's seat. Attalus III was the king of Pergamos. He was the last king. And Attalus III bequeathed his seat, his authority, and his power. Notice, his seat, his authority, his power, Satan's seat, Satan's authority, Satan's power, to the Caesars of Rome. 
Now you can check this out if you want. You can look this up. You can, I don't know if you want to Google or you have books, but you look it up. And he bequeathed it all to the Caesars of Rome. His dominions went to the emperors of Rome also. And here we have in the legs of iron was the Roman Empire. And it was bequeathed to them. So this is where we are where there's ten toes. There's ten horns. And they were ten little nations or ten groupings of people that were around what is known as modern Europe today. When that little horn came up and tore three out, the Heruli, the Ostrogoths, and the Lombards were torn up as people and taken over. And it's right in the place now where the Vatican sits tonight. It's not very politically correct, that's yours, not. Let me go on. The Roman Emperor sat in Satan's seat and held and bequeathed the title of Attalus. Do you know what the title of Attalus was? The Supreme Pontiff. This is history is proving itself, proving the Bible to be true. It was a Supreme Pontiff or Pontifex Maximus. It means bridge builder. It means the road or the way to God. What did Nimrod say? I will build a tower to heaven. So here we have Pontifex Maximus. This title was then transferred to the Bishop of Rome in 379 AD. The little horn in Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 and 11. Notice what it says. I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth and had two horns like a lamb, but spake as a dragon. Notice, here we have a horns as a lamb. The Lord Jesus Christ is called the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Revelation 17 says, Mystery Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the whole world. Here is the manifestation of Nimrod, the manifestation of Antichrist. Now it's in other areas. This is a manifestation of it. This is the heading up of it. Not thee, for it's a spirit. For you have it in Islam. You have it in, you have it in Judaism. You know why? Because they deny that Christ is come in the flesh. The Bible said it. Notice this. The word anti-Christ. Stay with me for a moment now. The word anti-Christ, as I said, means opposed to or in rebellion. Nimrod's name actually means rebellion. But anti means in the place of or substitute. Do you see when you transfer it into the Latin? Do you know what anti means? Vicarious. So in other words, antichrist means a vicar of Christ. You can check me out on it if you want. So antichristos is one of the titles of the Pope of Rome. In Revelation 17 and verse 7. Let's read it. Is everybody able to stay with me all right in this? Is it all with me okay? Going through time. I know it's a lot to take in. Stay with me. Revelation chapter 17 and verse 7 please. Notice what it says. And the angel said unto me, Wherefore didst thou marvel? I will tell thee the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carry her. The beast that carried her. Which hath the seven heads the ten horns. And we read that the seven heads are seven hills. The seven hills are the seven hills of Rome. The ten horns are the provinces that make up Europe, that have made up an ancient Europe and now a modern Europe. And they also showed you a map last week and make up ten sections of a new world order. Here it is. That's not my map, by the way. I didn't make that. That's an official map. Number one, we have Canada, United States, out to Greenland. 
Look, number two, we have the European Union and Scandinavia. And so on. Number three, we have out at the Far East at Japan. Number four, you can keep on going, Australia and South Africa. I didn't make that map up. That's an official Vatican map. I could give you reams and reams and reams of things that have been said. Look, just yesterday, just yesterday, the, the, the Pope's butler was up in court. You know why? For he released papers. You know why he released the papers? He says because of the evil that was on his desk. The reformers believed this, by the way. The Puritans believed this. I told you before. John Wesley believed this. By the way, George Jeffreys, the founder of Elam, believed this also. He was called a reformer and a revivalist. That's strong stuff, isn't it? Let me go on a moment here. Revelation 17 and verse 18 says, And the woman which thou sawest is the great city which reigneth over the kings of the whole earth. What other city has reigned over kings of the whole earth? What other city has been able to excommunicate? Do you know, by the way, while I'm here, do you know where the Vatican sits? It's on a hill and its ancient name was the hill of Vaticanus. That's why you call it the Vatican. It didn't take too much to work that out. But you know what it means? The hill of divination. The hill of divination. Notice it's global. Babylon is the ecclesiastical mother which birthed false religions. And it's headed up manifest in the church of Rome. I'm going to show you something. Look, it's running late. Who's going to give me another 10 minutes? Every, nearly everybody, thank you. Nearly everybody said, you know. Nearly everybody. Turn with me, please, to Second Thessalonians. I am really going to stir a few hearts here, a few things up. Second Thessalonians, please. And chapter 2. Now you're told this is going to be the man that will come and make a covenant with the Jews and so on. Now I'm going to, I'm going to show you what this is. Second Thessalonians. And let your eye run down to verse 3. Let no man deceive you by the means, for that day shall not come, except there be come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Notice this, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye, not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Now, why would Paul tell the Thessalonian church this before and write it again? Why did he teach it when they were there? Because this is why, notice. And now you know that withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. In other words, it's already happening in your time Church of Thessalonica. It was happening in Timothy's time. It was happening in John's time. It was happening in Peter's time. It was happening in the time of Christ. And it's happening right until tonight. But it's morphing and the church is sleeping. You, Someone might say to me, you shouldn't preach this stuff. Maybe teach it at a Bible study. Don't preach it on a Sunday night. Well, you know then, go and tell John Knox that. Now listen to this. It says here that this man will come for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now you're going to be told that's the Holy Ghost. Now please zoom in on me here. You're going to be told the Holy Spirit is going to, is going to rapture the church. Now I believe in the catching away of the saints. Don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. Changing us. So don't get me wrong. But you're going to be told it's a secret rapture. We're all going to go like piff, puff, poof into the sky and nobody knows about it. I'll take that apart sometime and show you the right way of it as well. But here we have, here we have them saying, and when we're taken up, he who now let, will let until he be taken out of the way is the Holy Spirit in the church. 
Is that right? So then we're told there's 144,000 from the book of Revelation who are all Jews who are, going to be, who are going to be martyred and they're going to die either by their martyrdom, they're going to die without the Holy Ghost to quicken them, they're going to die without the blood of Jesus to cleanse them, and they're going to die without the Lord Jesus Christ rising from the dead to justify them. And you telling me that they're going to build a temple and a man's going to sit in it and take worship and they're going to sacrifice and the Lord's going to be accepted with that? When Jesus died on the cross, he paid it all. And there's no more sacrifice for sin. None. And here's the thing. People like John Hagee. John Hagee preaches this. Nearly all of them preach it. It's called a dual covenant theology. You can get saved by the blood of Jesus, but if you're a Jew, you'll get saved by just cutting a lamb up. The lamb in the temple was finished when the lamb of God was slain. I don't make any apology for that. For me, it's Christ and nothing else. Christ and Christ alone. The death of Christ and Christ alone. Nothing else and no one else but the blood of Jesus. Let me look at this temple, if you'll give me a wee moment, just to break it up. It says here, verse 4, of this man who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, and he that... So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing that he is God. And by the way, the he who let will let. That was actually the moving away of the pagan empire. Again, the beast changing. That is the beast changing on along. And the papal empire coming out. The papal one couldn't come out until the pagan empire had disappeared. It couldn't take over. Now stay with me. See the word temple here in verse 4. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or all that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. There are two main words. There's another third word that's very rarely used. But there's two main words for the word temple. First of all, we have hereon, or hereon. And it means bricks, stone, wood. In other words, when you went into the temple at Jerusalem, you walked up the steps and in the porches and into the, past the Gentile court, into the outer court, then into the inner court, and that's where everyone of, of Israel were worshipping the Lord. Now here's the thing, that's why you have David proclaiming in his psalm, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. That is the Huron. The bricks, the stone, the wood, the mortar, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the brass. That is the building. Just like this edifice we sit in. Here on. Now you're told there's going to be a here on where this man will sit. I want to show you something. The second word for temple is naos. And the word naos means that place where God dwells. Stay with me. That place where God dwells. Now remember, according to this, the Holy Ghost is away. No God on the earth. The word naos here gives the idea of when the high priest once a year went behind the curtain, the great veil, sprinkled the blood upon the vessels, and the Lord came and saw the blood, and it was accepted for the remission of sin. And that place means the place where God himself comes down and dwells. It's called the holy place. It's called the holy of holies. It's called the most holy. So now listen, this man is going to sit on the most holy when there is no God and the Spirit's taken away. I don't think so. Let's look at some New Testament theology for a moment. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 17. Listen to what the Lord Jesus said. He was speaking to the Pharisees and he said, Ye fools. See the word fools, by the way, it's the word moros. It's where you get the word moron. Jesus said, See ye Pharisees, these are morons. That's what Jesus is saying here. Moros. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold. In other words, what Jesus was saying there, look at this temple and you're going to destroy it and it's 40 years in its building. Well, this is a holy place. Look at the gold and the pillars. And Jesus said, listen, what's greater? See your gold? Or the temple, that is the naos, the place where God comes down. 
There's something for you and I. What's greater? That what we can earn? That what we can give? That what we can do? Or when God comes down in our midst? Let me show you another one quickly. Matthew 23 and verse 21. And whosoever shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it, and by him that dwelleth therein. Jesus says, whosoever sweareth, not by the edifice, not by the courts and the balconies and the pillars, the hereon, but those who swear by the naos, by the place where God dwells behind the curtain. That's the naos. Now let me go on again. It means a settled presence, but let me go on to another one. Matthew 14 and verse 58. The Lord Jesus is at that temple and he comes out and he says, Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of what? His body. Crucify me. Put me in a grave. And this temple says, I will raise it up. It's the naos. The place where God dwells. Not a temple that's built with hands. Let me go on for a minute. I'll show you something. Matthew, sorry, Colossians 2 and verse 9 says, In him, in Jesus, dwelleth. The idea here is, dwelleth is a big word, katoyo. Something like that anyway. And it means to inhabit. It means to dwell in a temple It means somewhere where God is always available for the worshiper. And Jesus, when Paul looks at him and says, See him? Do you see that man? The Lord Jesus Christ, the man of Galilee who died at Calvary. He says, In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ. People are not busy looking for an antichrist. I'm looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. Excuse me for getting a bit upset and annoyed there. Christ is all in all. He's everything. You know when Judas betrayed our Lord and he was crucified and we're told Judas runs in as he's being tried... It says he runs to the temple and he casts the money down, the 30 pieces of silver wherewith he portrayed our Lord. See, it says he runs to the temple. The word temple is the naos. It means he ran behind the veil where only the high priest was allowed. Shows you the heart of old Judas. He ran right into the holy place and he threw down the money where God was meant to meet them. But guess what? God wasn't there. He was hanging on a cross. He was bleeding and dying for their sin. There's so much to do here. I'm going to try and wrap it up. When the Lord Jesus cried, it is finished. The curtain was rent in twain. And you could see that curtain being rent from the top to the bottom and old Judas where he had run in and then went and hanged himself. And Christ hanging and bleeding and dying in agony. The blood pouring from him. He cried, it is finished. And the curtain was rent in two. He saw into the naos and it was dead. It was lifeless. It was empty. But on Golgotha's hill, for all who would look would live. And there was the naos of God in the body of his son. Judas Iscariot is called the son of perdition. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 3. There's a man who opposeth and exalteth himself is called the son of perdition. The word opposeth is the word antikame. And again the word anti means in the place of or substitute. You know what kame means? To lie. The man who sits and tells lies. The man who pretends to be a lamb. Horns like a lamb but speaks great things. The man who sits in a temple. Let me just round this up for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19. The Apostle Paul says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple? Your body 
is the naos of the Holy Ghost. It is in you and you're not your own. Where's God's temple? You're God's temple. You're the naos of God. I want to tell you something else. See here, when we're talking about the edifice, the Huron and the Naos. When Paul writes his epistle to the church of God at Rome, he's writing to the Naos. He's writing to those who are filled with the Spirit, washed in the blood, serving and trusting in Christ. That is the Naos at Rome. And then Constantine, when he makes a, a professional, put it into brackets, he makes a profession to be a Christian, he starts trying to please the pagans and the Christians, and he starts taking Babylonian paganism into the church. You know when you go and you see those paintings with the big, the big halos around their head? That's not a halo, that's the sunburst. It's the sunburst of Nimrod, the sun god. Babylon in the church, it was a great falling away. And then that little horn came out. After Constantine and a few others, I think it was Gratian was the last one. That's by memory, so forgive me if I'm wrong there. But that was Gratian was the last emperor. And then the bishop of Rome came as Pontifex Maximus. And it means road to God, the way to heaven. Revelation 17, Mystery Babylon the Great, the Mother of Harlots. This is Ecclesiastical Babylon. Revelation 19, 18 rather, is uh, Babylon Economic, filling the whole world with all the delicacies. And it goes bigger than Rome now. This goes right around. This is a new world order comes out of this. A Knights Templar comes out of The Illuminati comes out of that. All different religions and one world government. If I have a chance again, I'll, I'll bring that to you when I get a chance. Revelation 19, then we have the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to political Babylon. Before we read it and we close, let me just say this. 30% of the Bible is devoted to Bible prophecy. That's in contrast, the Bible to other books. Prophecy in the Quran, the Hindu Vedas, the Bhagavad Gita, the Ramayana, the sayings of Buddha, Confucius, the Book of Mormon, from all of those books, there is not one verse of prophecy. That shows the divine authority and the divine stamp of the Holy Ghost on the Bible, the word of the living God. You know the days you're living in? You're living in the last of the last days when Christ will return. Here's the thing, by the way. The prophecies in the books belonging to Buddha, Muhammad, Zoroaster, Confucius, Joseph Smith, Mary Baker Eddy, and all the popular gurus, all their writings, not one of them speak or prophesy of their coming. But this word speaks completely of the Lord Jesus Christ. It speaks of his first coming to die for us. And it tells us he's coming again. Know the days in which we live in. Revelation 19 and a few verses, and I promise you that's it. You're your attention has been tremendous. I know it's been long. I wanted to finish this tonight. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. Listen to what John says at the fall of Babylon, political, economic, and of course, ecclesiastical. That is all word, false word religions, apostate Protestantism. I want to make this clear. See, if you're a Protestant and you're a nominal Protestant, I'll put that in brackets too, and you're not saved. You're as lost as a Roman Catholic. I want to make that clear now. You're as lost as a Roman Catholic's lost. It's only those that are saved and come under the blood of the Lamb. Let's look at Revelation 19 and verse 11. And I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. And on his head were many crowns. And he had his name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses. Clothed in fine linen. White and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp, to, a sharp sword. That with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he shall tread. And he. 
And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Here is the coming, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you're at the brink of it. Are you saved? For you will find your place with the beast if you're not. Better give over. That's more than enough. <coughs> Next week, Glenn Gormley Mathis.